Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. But this time it's going to be another special edition teaming up with John and Richard from the Lib Dem pod team to talk about the recent parliamentary by-elections. But just before handing over to John, a little Easter egg for you that once again, listen carefully to what I say, there's a musical reference weaved through all of my comments. Hello and welcome to this special edition Lib Dem podcast with the Nevermind the Bar Charts podcast because, to be honest, we probably could have had an emergency podcast every day for the last 10 days. We've had the £28 billion pledge dropped by Keir Starmer. We've had all the shambles going on in Rochdale and in Hindburn. We've, had, we've got entered a recession and now we've had a huge double whammy defeat for the government uh, in the by-election. So to discuss kind of where this all leaves us all and our immediate reaction to the by-elections, I've got obviously the host of Nevermind the Bar Charts and Party President, Mark Pack. How are you doing, Mark? Hi, John. Lovely to be with you again. Looking forward to picking over the pieces of the aftermath of all of that. And someone who needs no introduction as well is uh, Richard Kemp, uh, who has been on this podcast from the very first episode, before even Zoom was around for us, Richard. Uh, welcome back, Richard. Are you looking forward to this one, Richard? I'm uh, looking forward to everything. Uh, uh, whether any of us are going to work out by the end of this, what the hell it all means and where it's going <laughs> is another matter. But I'm sure Mark is going to produce 17 different bar charts and a longitudinal <laughs> survey over the last 42 years, which will bring us rapidly yeah. to the point. Oh, come on, Richard. I know you've really got those stats all ready to hand as well. <laughs> well, before we actually get into the breakdown, I think we should always start, like we do in a lot of these by-election uh, podcasts and the reaction straight to them, is to thank the Lib Dem Absolutely. candidates and teams that are in it. So both Andrew Brown and... Anna Gunn, who stood in the parliamentary candidates in seats where they know. And Richard, we've talked about one in the mm. past about these are some, these are, you know, that you're not going to win and to put in an effort and still put the name out there and be really important to show that face is, is absolutely vital, isn't it, Richard? It is indeed. Uh, everyone has the right to, uh, ha to, to vote for the party of their choice in a democracy, but particularly we don't know that perhaps as a result of these campaigns, uh, we might get two or three new campaigners and those two or three campaigners might be meeting in a pub next week to say that wasn't good enough. We're going to build up. And that's how so many of our parties have started. Uh, chance meetings or plan meetings in a pub after defeat to take things forward. And let's never forget our, our, our biggest boost as a party came after we did so dreadfully in 2015 and suddenly uh, Lib Dem newbies had about 7,000 members and many of those are now councillors and council leaders so sometimes out of the ashes of defeat can come the phoenix of victory. And, and I think we should definitely say congratulations to both of those candidates and their teams because you know, waving the Lib Dem flag and not causing a national media disaster for the party about either of their campaigns, as we've seen with Labour, is no, you know, that's no minor achievement. We should definitely be grateful to them for putting aside some of all of those other pressures on their time. And also to remember for everyone who was involved in 
in that campaigning it's you know things don't stop now because we're so close to the may elections and the next general election so huge thanks i think from everyone in the party to to all of all of the teams in both of those contests yeah and we've also talked about and some of the people that listen to this podcast are fairly new to politics so welcome to all those uh, people but there are more wins than just the big win and like Richard says, the, there'll be poster science that have been established. We don't know if they've used this to really give a bump to to win a ward in an area where they've had no chance previously. Mm. So by-elections are an opportunity to have lots of little victories. And we don't know, obviously, from the outside, whether what's been doing in those patches. But we thank, like I say, to Andrew and to Anna for standing in those patches. And I just want to give a little shout out because it is a Friday after by-elections. The local elections uh, since January have been excellent for the Lib Dems and we'll talk just a little very quickly about last night's because not a, it was a proper myriad uh, of good results actually sorry um, for the Lib Dems so we took a seat from Labour in Hull. Hull again it's almost like we should put like Hull on a kind of just their own kind of podcast just to explain how they do it for because a Lib Dem group in a northern area winning and continuing to win even though they're in power is, is a proper inspirational Absolutely. kind of a result again to win last night um and then we had two holds but i want to give a really special mention uh to susan jay who stood for us in uh, port talbot mm. in a seat that we didn't even have a candidate last time now susan didn't win but actually giving people that choice on a local level is so important. So on behalf of all of us, just thank you to all our local and our uh, parliamentary uh, candidates. The, the, as, as Mark said, in a week that has shown how fraught it can be being a parliamentary candidate, and I'm not looking forward to Lancashire County Council next week where the the leader of the Labour group is obviously not going to be there anymore. Um, we will. It can, all sorts of risks can happen from being a parliamentary candidate, but, we move on. Does that mean you're you're going to take control of Lancashire next week? Uh, uh, I I am absolutely certain there will be no control in any sort of sense in <laughs> Lancashire County Council next week. And even worse, that I sit directly behind Azar Ali in the time of the opposition benches. So, it, like, if he's there, which I don't think he will be, but if he is there, I'm, I have to have my straight face the whole time because i know every second of that webcast is going to get picked up on by someone <laughs> so uh yeah so I, I will have to be very careful next week so mark let's get into the actual results now mm. because there is uh there's no doubt about it these are massive results for labor and a disaster for the tories yeah, I mean, I think Labour have got a lot to be happy about looking at those results. They're also in their own way quite promising for the Lib Dems. I mean, these were, you know, election campaigns which we didn't we didn't throw the kitchen sink at. We didn't even really throw the mixing bowl at. Uh, so they don't tell us that much about Lib Dem prospects directly. But what they do tell us is just how unpopular the Conservatives are. And given that most of our most winnable parliamentary seats, think about the general election, are Lib Dem Tory contests, that's, you know, that's very promising news for us. It's also, I thought, the reform result was quite interesting because they, I mean, as we do in by-elections, you know, if you're a small party trying to be on the up, you want to massively overperform your national poll ratings in parliamentary by-elections. That's part of how you recover. I thought reform's results were sort of mediocre, therefore. They were about where the polls nationally put them. And particularly, you know, given the leave voting record in Wellingborough, you sort of think, actually, that's not such a great result. 
But the good thing, I think, from our point of view is it does look like they are able to eat in the to into the Tory vote a bit, which will make it easier for us to win seats. So that's, you know, let's we might massively disagree with reform parties politics, but they might actually be doing us a little bit of a favour come the general election. And we will talk about reform a little bit later on um, in terms of what that means. And Richard, your initial reaction to these results? Uh, not quite the same as Mark. Clearly, they were good results for Labour, and it tells nothing about our vote. But I think we all ought to just take a step back and reflect on 40%, sub 40% mm. turnouts. Mm. Yeah. Going back to the 70s, when we had by-elections there, and early 80s, when Lib Dems took up a fair number of seats, we were talking 60 or 70 down normally from 80% in, in, in a sort of non-general election uh, vote in the same constituencies. And I think all politicians need to reflect a little bit on what those low turnouts mean and whether actually people are fed up with all of us and they're just less fed up with us and less fed up with Labour rather than they're pro-us and pro-Labour. But Democracy isn't going to work at forty percent turnouts, and I suppose, and that leads us into the, one of the questions I was going to do is, you know, Labour have won this without being massively loved. You know, all you know, Mark, you you pick apart polls more. You know, the love of particularly Keir Starmer is at massive, but can Labour do this trick because they're doing it well at the moment of basically saying nothing and hoping the Tories collapse. Now, can that continue, Mark? And is that enough for them to win a majority or even a big majority like some people now think? Yeah. I mean, I think there are two different questions one could ask about the next general election. One is, are the Tories likely to lose? And the other is, is Labour likely to win? And the two are actually related, but they're not quite the same because I think you can look at things like those by-election results and the polls and we can be pretty confident, not complacent at all, but pretty confident the Tories are going to do badly, you know, really badly at the next election. That's not the same, though, as saying Labour will necessarily sweep across the board. And their Labour support does seem to be quite sort of brittle. You know, Keir Starmer's ratings are really nothing special. Um, and a lot of the sort of below the line ratings about, you know, most trusted on the economy or whatever, where you look at a, what looks superficially like an impressive Labour lead, it's really because the the Tory figures are so awful rather than the Labour figure is particularly high. So I think there is a brittleness there. I think, Richard, you're right to highlight the potential risk that is from a democratic point of view, that if we have a change of government and it's one that the public sours on very quickly. The flip side, I guess, is, you know, you sort of think about, well, what's the world for the Lib Dems going to be like post the next general election? I think in the run up to say 97, a lot of people were thinking, well, crikey, if there's a you know a new Labour government, a Labour landslide, we've made so much mileage out of bashing the Tories for so many years, what's our future going to be? I think, again, without wanting to anyway be complacent, we can be quite optimistic about there's going to be a space for us to continue to grow as a party if we have a Keir Starmer premiership. I, I am slightly reminded, actually, of the latter stages of Harold Wilson's time as Labour leader. And thinking about Keir Starmer, because Wilson, I think, is generally massively underrated. He won four out of five general elections that he fought. And as a Labour leader winning four elections, I mean, that <laughs> that is stellar. That is, you know, your sort of Taylor Swift's level of of success to uh, to, 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 to have a call. There's nothing as big as Taylor Swift. Nothing. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> um, but the, the last two that he won, the 274 elections, 
he was really, you know, he was not at all popular and the Labour Party was not that popular, but it was because he was up against Ted Heath. Yeah. And I think there is a bit of you can stumble over the line if your opponent is even more unpopular. Yeah. And Richard, obviously, you are only Labour facing in Liverpool. So how, I mean, there is a, I mean, for me, I I mean, I put this on the, the podcast WhatsApp, which Mark won't have seen what you did, Richard, is that, you know, there's something, a worry about Labour thinking they can win everywhere. Now, obviously, that's a worry for Labour in terms of them not targeting properly, and we've we all know what happens then. But also, a worry that will it yeah. mess up Lib Dem seats with them actually thinking actually we're going to have a go at say a Cheed or a Hazel Grove up here in the northwest and actually just get in our way. Do you do you have worries about that, Richard? Uh, not particularly, because the realities are that none of us have all the members we want to go everywhere we'd like to take them. And if Labour do say, right, we're doing so well, we're going into Cheadle uh, and uh, Hazel Grove, uh, then A, they won't do very well because they won't have that good, good a, a number turning up. But that may weaken their opportunity to take seats elsewhere. Uh, we, uh, uh, I'm sure Mark knows a lot more about this than I do, have a, a very strong targeting strategy. Uh, even if things are going very well for us, don't go too far out of that uh, hard strategy. Because We know what our targets are next time. Our target, without going into numbers, is to build a really good base from which we can advance we're not going to be the next government. Uh, we're not going to pretend to be. So let's do what we can do. Do it well, do it properly to have a big advance. And if Labour spread their uh, their forces too thin, then they will lose. Uh, well, they won't gain as many mm. as they otherwise would have done. And I suppose is a barometer of how well Labour will do maybe these May local elections. Because, again, I'm in a, a part of the world where we are taking on Labour in some seats. And Mark talked about that brittleness. Mm. And again, that really came out in the revelations this week. You know, as soon as the the, the 28 billion were pledge was ditched, I started getting emails from kind of people who weren't sure whether there'd be Lib Dem or Labour and actually saying, I'm really disappointed. Um, so do you see that brittleness in Liverpool, uh, Richard? Uh, to, to, to some extent, but... Liverpool is a peculiar place in, in many ways. And we've had so many fracturings of the Labour Party after so many years. It's trying to trying to work out what, what, what the trend is uh, and therefore what the opportunities for us uh, are. Uh, I don't think people vote on specific policies, uh, I'm afraid. And I was on the Federal Policy Committee for nine years. We spent a lot of time <laughs> doing things. What will damage... Uh, Labour more than the 28 million is the prevaricating about the 28 million and uh, the prevaricating yeah. about whether or not they should uh, should have suspended the Labour candidate in Rochdale earlier or not. The details will escape them. But when people see a muddled party, particularly in the situation where actually general elections are presidential elections mm. now, and they see the leader flip-flopping, then that isn't going to do them any good, irrespective of what those policies might be and what people think about them. And I suppose, Mark, that's kind of, I mean, I think Boris Johnson was on this this Captain Hindsight thing that he got onto Labour. Clearly, it resonated with people. And you see it from focus groups, whether that's the Times one, or, and I'm sure there's internal focus groups as well. That did stick with Keir Starmer, that, that idea of him being 
you know, almost shifty was the mm. was the word that came up quite a lot. So it'll be really interesting to see how Labour deal with this. Mark's already alluded to the fact that, you know, the Conservatives are on track to be having a pretty bad night, whatever the general election is. And, I mean, Richard, do you see any way back for them now? Is this a Tory collapse nearly all but certain? I can't see any way back for them. The losses mightn't be as great uh, as some people uh, hope they are or suspect they are, but uh, I cannot see there being a Tory government after the next general election under any circumstances. Yeah, and they've got no friends either. This is uh, the interesting thing. There's no one that will ever go into a... a even the DUP don't trust them any, you know, anymore. So let's... OK, so let's talk about reform. So reform, because mm. some of the, the the stories there, and I was listening to the Times radio just about an hour or so ago, talking about, is this a breakthrough for reform? Um, I'm not sure. What about you, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I've got mixed emotions thinking about reform, because if they do a bit better, it probably helps us. But their policies, I just find, and I'm sure, you know, everyone in the Lib Dems, you know, find their policies really repellent and um, I think what is the best sign though of how well or badly reform did in the by-elections is where are the stories all over the media about how the amazing reform result might tempt Nigel Farage to throw us out in the room to be reform leader again after all you know I think if they'd had good results in the by-elections that would be the speculation we'd all be straight into so I think and I, you know, I don't in any way want to denigrate the fact that reform is trying to talk up its election results, because of course we do exactly the same. But I yeah. think the real tell, the giveaway is that we're not in that world of Nigel Farage speculation. Are they now just I mean, the all any party that isn't the the main two, Labour and Conservatives, has an element of getting a bit of protest vote. We can mm. I think we're all, you know, grown up mm. enough to to get that. Mm. Is reform now the go-to avenue for the protest vote, though, Richard? Depends where you are. Uh, it won't be in uh, the southwest of England because people know where that protest vote can lead to victories. And that's the worrying thing for reform, that there's nothing in those results last night to point to anywhere in the country where they could win one, two or three seats. What worries me most about reform is on the basis that I think there's going to be a Labour government and a relatively small Tory party, What's going to happen to the uh, big internal debates which will take place on the left, uh, on the hard right and, and the right? What's going to emerge from that? My worry is that what emerges with reform being in there somewhere or reform people being in there is a MAGA style Trumpian political party unlike anything we've ever known. And that will be in the ascendancy across the right of the mm. country. And that was, you've seen a little bit of Richard Tice this today saying, you know, we need to exist because both Tories and Labour are socialist in their cause. And you just think, you know, it, it, I mean, it's clearly nonsense, but that that is that kind of avenue. And But it, I suppose it's, there's two questions from this, Mark, is... Mm. Does what reform what does the reform vote change how the general election will play out? I mean, for me, if I was a Tory strategist, and obviously I'm not, um, is that I don't think the Tories will ever beat them on the right. You know, I think if the Tories try and appeal to the right, they still won't get that right wing vote. You know, the far right the, that will stay with reform. So, does will the impact of today mean that the Tories will try and appease that right wing vote? 
And then, as Richard's alluded to, what happens after the general election, if the Tories get a thumping, do they then think, actually, we need to lurch to the right afterwards? So they're the two things. Do they do it before or after or both? Um, I mean, I think we've got a Conservative Party at the moment that is just looking very tired, you know. And if you're looking tired, the public, you know, that feeds a public sense of the need for time for a change. And... What is often the case is that when you have a tired party that loses an election, the vote coalition that it was chasing to try to hold on to power is significantly different from the coalition that the future leader who takes them from opposition back into power puts together. So I think it's very plausible that the next Conservative leader who wins from opposition, because I guess there will be one at some point, yeah, however many years down the track that will be, will be chasing a very different voting coalition from the one that they're trying to chase at the moment, particularly because there are so many demographic trends that are counting against their current coalition. If you look at um, Conservative support by age, if you look at Conservative support amongst people who rent rather than who own their own home, if you look at Conservative support amongst uh, people from ethnic minority communities in this country. And so, you know, all of the trends in which the country is changing is taking support away from the Tories. Now, the thing they've managed to pull off in the past, the reason why previous can the Tories ever win again type prognostications have always turned out to be wrong is because the Tory party's reinvented itself. Yeah, they've adapted. And so I think it's definitely possible they'll take a turn to that sort of Trump light sort of direction in the aftermath of an election result. But I just wonder if you know, the lesson from history is actually they're going to reinvent themselves in a more successful route. But they may have to go through two or three very heavy defeats before they get to that. Just as, for example, Labour in the 80s had to go through quite a lot of disaster before taking a very different turn. And they tend to, and we tend to, it's, it's kind of a human psychology issue, is that you tend to double down on your mistake first before then you realise that it was an initial mistake. And you could think of, mm. you know, Labour went to Miliband, then doubled down on Corbyn as a way of kind of, without realising that that probably wasn't the way they but should have But you have, have to gone. feel a bit sorry for Ed Miliband. I mean, chaos with Miliband feels like that would have been definitely the better <laughs> option now. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting. What are your thoughts on reform then, Richard? Uh, I, I well, uh, like any liberal Democrat, I think they're quite revolting people, uh, and and they're chasing a myth of an England, and I do say England because they don't really think of Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, but an England that's never really existed. The white cliffs of Dover, the little cottage in the field, nice white people. If there were some people from ethnic minorities around, they were probably servants or they'd, uh, they'd just been imported uh, from the colonies. Actually, England was never like that for most people. If you were in Liverpool in the 1930s, say, in the pre-war period, we had lots of people living in slums in disgusting uh, conditions. Uh, rural poverty uh, was very feudal right up till the 70s. So they're looking back to a storybook past. And as it didn't exist then, it certainly isn't going to exist in the future. And... I suppose with all by-elections, the, the, one of the big things the danger of is actually read too much into them. Mm. Um, and actually, particularly Wellingborough, where the, the set of circumstances the Tories got themselves in, A, mm. Peter Bone was fairly objectionable, even to people that voted Conservative. For him to go down in disgrace, 
And then why the Tories decide to select his girlfriend? Yeah, I mean, pick, I mean, I mean, there are there are wounds you can cause yourself. I mean, I mean, Mark as party president, what would you yeah, do I mean, in that like, situation? Like think, well, we've we've shot ourselves in the left foot. We've shot ourselves in the right foot. Now let's have one more shot as well. You know, just, just, well, that's where yeah. that might be if you don't mind. I, I, I mean, there is a there is a fantastic you know, TV drama or something to be done about the Wellingborough by-election when you look at, you know, just the little twists like Peter Bones, former wife who he cheated on, she signed the nomination paper for the person that he cheated on her with. And I, there's, you know, one, one should weird. It's just one weird. make assumptions about, you know, other people and their relationships and all that. And who knows quite what the story, but... It looks really strange from the outside. I think that is fair to say, without being unduly purient. It is strange. <laughs> but, um, and then all of the things about, like, the abandoned car that was, uh, you know, left dumped outside the Tory office for ages and so on. It, I mean, it was, yeah, it, I mean, in a way, it was almost the by-election equivalent of the Tories' 2019 European Parliament election campaign, where they sort of, we had a national election where they basically didn't really turn up to fight it. Yeah. Um and so definitely, and this partly comes back to what you were saying, Richard, we should apply a bit of caution to not reading too much into, into that result because it was so unusual. But then we do have Kingswood as well that happened at the, you know, as uh two, and that likewise was clearly Conservatives, you know, unpopular in trouble. But it's also and there is a there's an odd thing about Kingswood, obviously, because the seat isn't going to exist. And it's it, it, both these by-elections had really peculiar sets of circumstances. Now, obviously, Labour's like that. And we should say congratulations to both the Labour candidates who, who have now yeah. become MPs. They've probably, well, but well, well done to the voters of Kingswood, you know, rather than just with boundary changes, you know, quietly fading away out of existence, the seat. They said, no, we're not going to fade away. No fading away here. Instead, we're going to leave a little mark in the political history books first. Do, do we actually know? I don't know. But I got the impression that the Tories didn't actually massively campaign in these um, in these by elections, I didn't I didn't see much talk about the the Tories mm. election machine going in there. I didn't see photos of MPs there, anything like that. And that obviously is another thing, you know, winning the drop in turnout, the level of Labour win. You, you know, we talk about a lot about the power of campaigning and how that changes the dial, Richard. If you if they've not campaigned, mm. then what do they expect these results to be like? Yeah. Well, well, let's go back to the whole result, actually, just leaving the parliamentary yeah. elections. Uh, I can remember, uh, I think it was 2004, being shot across the uh, Pennines to go to Hull because, much to their surprise, they, I think they'd gone up from five or seven to overall control. Mm. And they didn't have a, a clue what to do. They didn't even know they could use council offices for their group meetings. We met in a, in a pub. But what you can say about Hull is that year in, year out, they've done the business. They've been on the doorstep. They've been putting the focus out. They've been excellent campaigners. I don't know whether it's just the fact that Dave McComb is a cabinet member in Hull. It might mm. just do. But Absolutely, there, there let's not give Dave McComb any uh, praise. Let's... No, OK. Well, in spite of David McComb being a, 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 a councillor there, but I, I look at that hard work they just bloody well get on with it they don't seek glory they just want to win uh, and that's a lesson for us no matter what the results are because the day after any election you're starting to get ready for the next one 
Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, and that kind of leads into the result. I don't know, we're going very niche here. And I realise that some of the podcast listeners think, oh my word, we've gone down a Lib Dem rabbit hole here. But actually, if you look again, we we look at council uh, results a lot here in the ALDC. Um, and actually, Tories took a seat from Labour last week in Cheshire. You know, there's, and again, by all accounts, that was just good, hardworking campaigning from the Tories that, that did it. So I, I have... <laughs> I'm nervous about both Lib Dems and Labour activists who think this is all but inevitable that the Tory vote will collapse. I think the Tories are going to have a bad day in the next, whatever the next general election. They're probably going to have a bad day in the next local elections. Um, but for people, and I, I knock on a lot of doors, their default will, if they voted Tory 40 years, their default will still be to vote Tory unless you give them a reason not to. And I suppose that's where we've got to be, Mark. We have to knock on those doors, deliver those focus leaflets. Party HQ's got to get on those airwaves. We've got to give them a reason to vote Lib Dem. Yeah, and I mean, thinking about the parliamentary by-elections, I don't know why the Tories seem to put so little effort in. I mean, they may have taken the view that if you're going to get tonked, then it doesn't matter how much you get tonked by, but it does seem surprising. Because they're not short of money. They've, yeah, they're, and there they're... wasn't anything like the pressure on Tory MPs, you know, saying, oh, I've got to go to help in this by-election, that uh, they do seem to have eased off the pedal a lot on that. And you're right, therefore we should be cautious. But I think that was, if you look at the council by-elections, though, I thought there was the, the by-election in Tring was really interesting in that respect, yeah. because that is an area where we have made huge progress in very short order at the in previous council elections and so then a by-election came up in one of the wards uh you know that we held but and we managed to build you know build on that even more which given how much progress we'd made previously was again a really impressive result that i think highlighted how where we have been making progress we are able to sustain that so i think that's the bit i would put on the other side of the yeah. the balance sheet that and likewise in Hull, you know, we went, we took control. Actually, it's then harder to defend when you're in control, but we're still making, by. I think this is second, maybe even third by-election win from Labour since we took control in the council. So there's definitely, you know, reasons for optimism, but not complacency for us. And I suppose the, the another issue that's come within the parliamentary by-elections and perfect example in the Tring uh, council by-election, decorum council, was the fact that tactical voting seemed to have quite a shift here. So uh, in the 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 Tring uh, council election, the green vote collapsed by half, mm. and virtually all of that went to the Lib Dems. Lib Dems were up nearly 13% mm. in that by-election. And likewise, we've seen basically the Lib Dem vote in the parliamentary by-elections. Um, the gains, the 3 4% gains we made from 2017 to 2019 then went away from us and went to the... So, I mean, that a lot of people are saying that's terrifying, for the Tories. Do we overplay tactical voting? Uh, I'm going to go with Richard first, because mm. normally that would be a Mark question, but I'm going to go Richard first for this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is very difficult doing a podcast with a couple of anoraks, but uh, <laughs> I will try my best to wade, uh, wade through this. Uh, I Tactical voting comes about for a lot of reasons. If I take my... I'm sorry, Richard, I just have to interrupt at that point ah. to point out for people who are listening rather than 
uh, watching. None of us are wearing anoraks, but actually, have you noticed we've all got the same half <laughs> jumper type, Rishi Sunak style, one might even say. Top, no. we're, we're all such MS dads, which is terrible. Uh, actually, <laughs> I'm not sure if I prefer MS dad or Rishi Sunak like. Uh, <laughs> sorry, right, Richard. Sorry. Uh, totally throw me down. What was the bloody question? About tactical voting, Richard. Oh, no. tactical. You see, there's, there, there's a difference between long term tactical voting and short-term tactical voting in my own city anyone who's minded to vote Tory hasn't done that for 40 years they vote Lib Dem and in large parts of the country what's locked into our vote or in other parts of the country into the Labour or Conservative votes are people who know their uh, candidate can't win so they lock in 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 the long term to other parties and that will always be the case while we have this ridiculous first-past-the-post system. The uh, swings, well, a lot of them will swing back, but a lot of them won't. Uh, so uh, I, I don't think that for every 100 that come over, you keep 100 of yeah. them, but you might keep 50 of them, and that becomes something. And when they vote for you three times, then it becomes a habit to vote for you in, instead. So I, 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 I think you can overrate uh, swing the, the point of swing voters, but I also think that you've got to learn who swung and why to build on it for the next election. Uh, and I'm going to ask you another question, Mark, before you come in, because no doubt you'll want to come in on this. Is I mean, just picking up on what you said before about you know the space for the Lib Dems, mm. and actually, I'm actually really optimistic about. I'm usually quite a glass half full kind of guy anyway, mm. but for me, who's got elections every year, so I have my local elections this year, then I have my counties in 2025. I see for, so for us, we're making no, no bones about it. this year. We are absolutely trying to get as much out of the Tory areas as we can, but we know going into the counties that Labour will never be as high as what they've been these last two years, because mm. uh, under the assumption that Labour are going to be in power, so their vote will naturally start to fall down. Um, but also, I think the Tories are going to be so... They're not going to fix that ship that's currently sinking in that time. So I think, really genuinely, if you've got elections in 2025 and you're a Lib Dem, I think there's a really great opportunity. And actually, I'm, again, I'm doing the whole kind of campaign thing, when you're thinking about what can I do in my uh, my parliamentary campaign, what can we do in our parliamentary campaign, because we're not a target seat or whatever else, think about, okay, what could you do in that 2025 local and then use your parliamentary to help Absolutely. you achieve that, along with making sure you get to your target seats and making sure those those fantastic PPCs that are in those target seats win. And But, Mark, that, for me, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I, I suppose as party president, you, you won't say anything different. Uh, well, OK, let me start with a, a more downbeat note then. Oh, uh, no. Your challenge, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's not easy for us to have a successful general election campaign. I mean, you know, we might joke amongst ourselves quite how many bad election campaigns in a row that we've had but the last time we really exceeded most people's expectations was back in 2005 so by the time of the general election it will be close to 20 years since the last time in that we could really you know say without any caveats that was a great result yeah but um, even then you know we but, did, i was going to interview you very briefly just to say i was watching one of those election replays mm -hmm. 
And even on those election replays, that well, we thought the Lib Dems would do slightly better than what they did in 2005. It's a but you're right. You are right, though. Actually, well, yeah. I mean, many people pick sort of 2001 rather than 2005 or maybe even 1997. I normally pick actually 2001. I was being a bit generous, maybe, going for 2005. <laughs> so, but yeah, but whatever the point is, it's a long time ago. So it's not easy. And we shouldn't just sort of look at the by-elections or the polls and think, right, it's all over now. Tories are going to lose. We're going to do brilliantly. No problem. That's so in a way we should be very short termist about focusing in on maximising number of parliamentary seats at the Westminster general election this year, because that sets the scene in so many ways long term. But if we do sort of, you know, take a step back when maybe resting our feet in between the canvassing and the delivery to focus on the immediate objective, you're, you're right. I think there's a lot of scope to be optimistic that the next Labour government assuming that's what we have, will leave a lot of political space for the Lib Dems. It's going to be difficult in a way to pivot in many places from maybe slightly different wards that are targeted, ones that were harder to win become easier, but ones that are easier to win become harder, perhaps in a different political environment. But also the basic tenor of political debate, I think, will change in a way that will be for the good, because so much of the political agenda is set by what's the government doing and what are you therefore reacting to? And if we've got a government that is forever speculating about, let's say, infrastructure building plans, some of which we'll support, some of which we might not be so happy with in terms of the knock on environmental impact or whatever. But, you know, that will be such a better frame of reference, such a better agenda for politics than when it's about who are the next group of rich people that the, the government wants to give some tax cuts to. Yeah. Richard? I, I think uh, Mark is right. The dialogue will shift but the shifting of that dialogue will exacerbate problems in the Labour Party. And we've mm, already seen the, the 28 million. Uh, we've seen the huge problems with Gaza and Palestine. Uh, so I think we will move from having splinter groups in the Tory party to splinter groups in, in, in the Labour Party. The, the other thing that I, I wouldn't uh, un underestimate either is why people join other parties, which is seems to me to be quite different than why we join our party. Mm. A lot of people join the Labour and Tory party because they want to be someone. They want a position. And I think uh, of Ryan Priest. Ryan took the first seat for us on Dudley. Dudley. Now, mm. what a Tory or Labour, desperate to be the first. No, Ryan doesn't want to be the first. He wants to be the leader of the council, but he's come in to take that on against the odds. And a lot of Labour and Tory parties just aren't there. If they ain't going to be someone important, they ain't going to be there at all. So I think it will take a long time for the Tories to recover because they're more prone to important-itis than any other party. I suppose one thing that just kind of leading on from this, obviously there's, there's been a, quite a lot of talk about tone of elections mm. and how it's going to be. And actually, and it links into what we were talking earlier about, you know, Labour staying quiet and winning kind of just by default. Is there space for optimism and a campaign of hope in, in British politics at the moment, you think, Richard? Absolutely. And, and uh, just linking that to what I said before about the presidential campaign, I don't often listen to uh, uh, things like, um, broadcasts, but I listened to Ed Davies' interview on LBC, mm. and everyone who's heard it has said, yeah. What a 
bloody nice man he is, a man of integrity, honesty and compassion. Um, this goes against the grain for a localist party, and I'm a localist. But if we do have presidential elections, we've got to do far more to promote that inherent niceness, which I see in Ed Davey, which I see in Richard Ford, which I see in Sarah Dyke. So going in and saying we're the nice party isn't going to work. But compared to the others, we are, uh, and that's exemplified by our leader. And I think we have to spend a lot of time building up that position of, of Ed in, in, in the public mind. Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think the public's mood is, and you see this come through in things like focus groups as well as yeah, feedback on the doorsteps and so on, is quite nuanced in, in a way that the public, are really fed up with how the government has been doing and they do want to see some new faces but they're also very cynical about what any politician promises about anything and it's almost like we want the new faces but we've got no expectations as to what you're going to be able to do instead and therefore it's tricky it's a you have to pitch that message of hope very carefully to be optimistic and upbeat in a way that people like but not in a way that makes people think Oh, well, there's just no way you can deliver that. Yeah. So this mm. is so I mean, if we're being and I, I really like Joe Swinston, but that kind of I'm campaigning to be next prime minister probably didn't land where we probably wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, but actually the idea, I think it's it's the sense of something better. And we would mm. and we'd my local party we're talking about, because there's there's so many ways we can, you know, because we're I'm very fortunate, I'm both Labour facing and Tory facing on my two councils. So there's there's always lots of avenues for me to go on the attack in terms of you know whatever the the local uh, groups in control are doing. But uh, we were talking in our group about actually we want to do something beyond that. We want to actually say this is what we're for. We're not getting. I'm not getting too kind of high-minded about it because you know you've got to be where the voters are. If you start talking and you know very on on airy fairy grand plans, voters aren't there. But actually, the the sense that Britain could be better, and actually, yeah. and Britain... I think housing is a really good example of that because it's you know the danger is always falling into that mindset of well, how can I stop this housing plan that some residents are unhappy with, whatever, and promising people housing often, however, also produces all sorts of cynical responses about, yeah, but there's no, not going to be any bus route to serve the housing. There's going to be no GP surgery. Who's going to get, you know, that, so you've got to find that middle path of not wanting to change things. Cause actually if we don't want to change things, we might as well just not be in politics. Yeah. Okay. Leave it, leave it to the Tories, leave it to inertia, but doing it in a way that does respect that people sometimes have decent reasons for cynicism or negativity that we can engage with. And so, of course, you know, in housing, Keith House, for example, and his colleagues in Eastleigh, the best named Lib Dem council leader, <laughs> uh, given his record on building houses, is, you know, he, th their infrastructure led development, that approach that they take works so well because people can see the benefits up front alongside the drawbacks of getting new housing and if you can see the benefits and you can see the drawbacks at the same time you can then persuade people that the, yeah the net the net benefit here is is much greater uh and and it's the right thing to do but if you're promising people that maybe 30 years down the track you'll see the new P gp surgery well of course you know we shouldn't then blame them for being nimbies we should ask well how have we not managed to build their trust how have we not failed to give them confidence that this is going to work out well mm, exactly i suppose well go on richard yeah, well, I, I think we do need to give people a, a better vision of the Britain 
all the Liverpool, all the Preston that we want. Mm. We, we've just uh, ha had published uh, in, in Liverpool something by the Liverpool Future Group, which the Tories insisted that Labour members largely set up. And one leading commentator decide, uh, defined it as a bag of small bits. Where is Liverpool going to be in 20 years? Now, when we controlled the council, we said Liverpool was going to be a major European city. Now, no one particularly knew what that meant, including us. But it didn't matter because we were able to say, this is what the aim is. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I struggle to see. Even in our own party, with my implicit belief in bottom-up and localism and taking power from London, I find it very difficult to see in any of the parties, really, what will Britain be like in 20 years' time? And if we could get that over in six bullet points, well, that would be a bloody good start. Well, I think it also has to be in five years' time as well. Or what's it going to be? I mean, that's the thing. I think Mark was alluding to that. Actually, if you say to people, what's it going to... I mean, 10 years quickly goes by. You know, I, I realise I've I've now been a councillor for 14 years and how did that happen? Um, how are you old enough to have been a councillor for 14 years? <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. I, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, Richard's old enough to be a councillor for 50 years. I know. <laughs> you in 14 years seem improbable. But it is about... It's, it's You've got multiple goals in this thing. That's the thing. You've got to... What, what can you do? What are you doing now mm. what are you going to do in five what you're going to do in ten and, you, yeah. and and your vision has to kind of flow through all those yeah. and that's what is going to happen in our general election campaign as well um do we have do we know mark when we have the manifesto coming out because we do have the a fairer deal mm. pre-manifesto yeah. document on the website which i recommend people mm. go and look at and actually it's very this is a little tip for you i've started getting parliamentary questions already parliamentary candidate questions in terms of what our policy is going to be so actually referring to that document and saying look obviously the full manifesto is going to be coming is very useful um and it was a lady who contacted me about the green the 28 billion i want to say richard not million billion uh, oh. pounds that um <laughs> labor ditched and she contacted me and I, I said, um, and she went, can you reassure me that the Lib Dems take climate change seriously if, if, because if Labour don't? And I said, well, this is, this is what I've done locally. This is our new yeah. fairer deal pre-manifesto policy. When the new manifesto comes out, I'll of course, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll no doubt because Lib Dems at the front centre, blah, 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 blah. But, and it just, it did that issue of what we're doing now what we're hoping to do in the future and like kind of weaving that thread mark is going to be so important for us mm. locally because... I suppose we want to end this episode saying, what can Lib Dems do now? And I suppose, I think we'll all agree, I think, but I'm not going to speak for you, is that actually the next big kind of press release will probably be the May local elections and actually getting some momentum from that onto a general election is probably where we're at, Mark. Yeah, I think um, this partly comes back to your point, Richard, you know, the, the, the straightforward answer to what our vision is for where the part you know that we want to take the country in five years time is go to the website libdems.org.uk forward slash plan and you know that sort of sets out our vision for a fairer country but what makes it credible in the eyes of the public I think what you know if you're in a conversation with a voter on the doorstep and voters saying well you know why should I let's say John you know or Richard why should I give you another four years in in, in office as a councillor and you say well okay look if you let me have another four years you can see the things I've done and these are the next set of things I'll do. And having that demonstrable local track record 
is so important. That's why I think if you were to say, what's our most important policy to improve the NHS? I would almost say it's slightly asking the wrong question because the best way to persuade people to back our vision for the NHS is then being able to see the local health campaigning that we've done. And so, you know, the best message on the NHS isn't about a particular national policy pledge. Sure. It's about the local campaign that we've been integral to or maybe even started up. Um, and I know that makes, in a way, progress harder, because if you're starting from a very low base, you've got to start doing the campaigning, have some success before, you know, it, rather than, oh, if only there were five policies that I could take off the shelf and put in the leaflet. It's a it's a longer road, but it's a, it's a better and surer road. And crucially, there is just so much in every community that only happens when somebody says, you know what, I'm going to start campaigning for this. There is, fingers crossed, a pavement round the corner from me which has been fenced off by the council for eight years. Uh, now that I've got the bit between my teeth on it, with a bit of luck, they promised me that this year they will finally repair the wall and clear the pavement. And actually, you know, in that case, there's quite a wide pavement. So people in in prams or whatever can get around it. But if you're somebody who's partially sighted, if you're somebody, you know, in a wheelchair and it's and it's a dark and rainy night and you're having to veer out under, you know, uh, under the tree where where all the puddles are and all the slippery wet leaves are, it's it's not great. And But that's just been there because nobody has previously picked it up and campaigned with. And so whether it's that or on the bigger scale of things like you know, campaigning for the NHS, it's that local activism that is so crucial to make a difference for people's lives and handily also improving our electoral prospects. Thank you so much, Isaac. Richard and Mark. It's been a really fascinating podcast. Do do make sure you follow both podcasts on our social media and make sure you subscribe to Mark's wonderful podcast, Never Mind the Bar Charts. You can obviously watch this podcast on YouTube. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate all the support and likes and questions. I even had an email from the other day in part of my work saying it's weird getting emailed by a celebrity, which was very nice, but very, <laughs> I'm not even Making your from address on your emails again, John. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they don't count if they're from your wife, John. No, no, I, I, I thought you were going to say mum there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's an assumption both of them actually like me, which is, which is a whole uh, other yeah, argument. Yeah, not true um, in my case. No, but, it, you know, it's, been, it's going to be a fascinating few years to, well, fascinating few months to come. So uh, thank you everyone for watching along with us. We really do appreciate it. And we'll be back with more episodes very soon. Oh,